0: Hi, this is Steve Kaufman and I'm again, and I'm really pleased to have with me today as a guest, someone that I've known for a long time at various sort of meetups of language keeners, Ollie Richards of storylearning.com. And, uh, hello, Ollie. Hi, Steve. Uh, Thank you. Please allow me to say, first of all, hi. If people uh, enjoy my videos, please subscribe, click on the bell for notifications. If you follow me on a podcast, please leave a comment, Ollie. Steve, Uh, you and I have been involved in this whole kind of internet based language learning thing for quite a while. Yes. And I want to go over some of the ways in which language learning has changed. And, And of course, both of us started learning languages long before this whole internet thing started, how language learning has changed, how the technology has changed, how we've had to change. So that's what I would like to talk about with you, if you agree. I am at your service. Okay, so uh, before we get going, tell me a little bit about StoryLearning.com. Yeah, so StoryLearning is um, my website,
1: my YouTube channel, and the whole focus of what we do is that uh, we teach languages through stories. And this all came about um, many moons ago. Um, I mean, I've always used stories and, and reading as a way to learn languages, um, but I never really thought about how I could use it as a teaching vehicle, um, but then I spent I had a kind of long career teaching languages and then I began to actually write books of short stories, which people really liked. And then, so I kind of developed this concept and thought, okay, how many different ways can we teach people through stories? Uh, much the same as the mini story at link. Um, uh, but now including a big pedagogical elements as well. Um, and so nowadays that's, that's everything that we do. So we make courses, we write books and everything is about stories.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. And before we go further into that, of course, telling stories in a way, our presence on YouTube is a form of storytelling. Uh, we talk about different things. We tell stories. Uh, I just wanted to, I mentioned this to you before we started up. you know, here we are, uh, I've been in, you know, this business of, I mean, I guess my first YouTube video was, I don't know, 15 years ago. I've seen it. I remember it. Well, I was just thinking as I said, yeah. On the chair. So, so then I was just thinking, here I am, you know, getting set up for my interview with you. And I thought I would describe to people what I have to do. So I have my iPad open because that's where I communicate with you. Uh, and you might describe what you do at your end, but so I'm no longer looking at you, even though you are there and I hear you through my AirPods, because in fact, I'm recording the video on my iPhone, which is located about six feet away from me on a tripod. Now the iPhone is connected into my computer because I have my computer open beside my iPad and plugged into my computer is first of all, a microphone. And second of all is a cable that takes me back to my iPhone. And then I use QuickTime and I use a program on QuickTime to make sure that I'm centered, more or less centered, because I tend to be a bit sloppy and whatever I do. but. I got, I can see on my computer screen, how I am centered, what actually will show up in the video. So I have to get that going. Now the audio from my iPhone, because it's six feet away, wouldn't be very good. So I have my microphone plugged into my computer and I use Audacity to record the, uh, audio. And then we merge the audio and the video files in order to get uh, a good quality video and audio. So we are not at all dependent on the connection that we have through Zoom because although Zoom and Skype have improved, there can be interruptions and frozen moments and, you know, in different audio quality and so forth. One other thing is for whatever strange reason, every time I open Audacity, I get an error message. So I always have to go through the same step of quitting Audacity, searching for it with that magnifying glass. To get it up again and then the second time i get into audacity it works so just some background oh and i have three different sets of lights here to improve the light quality so there's a whole setup process to do these to tell my story I, how about it your I, but
1: I guess the the interesting thing about that whole setup you've, you've got there is it didn't begin like that did it? it's something that's evolved over the over the years and as as yes. you and there's there's so many parallels between this and other things in life, aren't there? Where you just start off, you know, your very first video, I believe was a webcam on your computer with you just sitting on a chair, and that was -hmm. that. that. Mm -hmm. Same for me. Um, But then as we go, we add more things on. So my setup is, at the moment, so we are talking on Zoom, that's how we're doing it. And right now, Mm -hmm. I'm looking at Mm -hmm. the call itself into the laptop, which nobody can see, but I can't record with the laptop because the camera is no Mm -hmm. good. So what I do is I have mm-hmm. my fancy DSLR camera, which I use for my YouTube videos, um, set up over above the screen up here. So I'm looking at the camera right mm-hmm. now because that's how we get a nice effect for the audience who watches it later. But I can't see your face. Your face is down here, and I'm looking at the camera up here. And then linked to my camera, right. I have an overhead mic, which is up here, um, which is cap- mm-hmm. which is capturing my voice. Um, that's linked directly into the camera. I can see over here, what's coming up from the camera to make sure that it's still recording and I'm centered. And I also have two box lights up here, one backlight, and then four or five different lights in the background, um, to, to light it up and see if you won't be able to see that right now because you're just staring into your camera. But when you see the final results on YouTube, right. uh, it will
0: hopefully look quite good. Yeah. I'm afraid that some of my viewers are going to say, why don't you get a setup like Ollie, cause his is much better than yours. So we'll see are it's, it's in any case, we continue to evolve and, and, and language learning continues to evolve. Um, what do you think are some of the major sort of changes that have taken place, say, which was the first sort of language that you, other than English, you know, your first foreign language, which was the first one. And, and if you compare how, uh, you know the world of language learning today to when you first started, what have been some of the main changes?
1: So my first language was French and um, I remember working in a cafe in London when I first when I first heard French around me and thought, well, that sounds fantastic. Let's go and learn it. And so on my way home, I would stop by the European bookshop, which was then in, now it's in Gloucester Road. At the time it was in Soho and I would go back and the, the only way that I knew to learn French was with textbooks because that's what we did at school and so I would go down into the European bookshop um, in Soho and I would go down and browse all of the the French grammar books you had the complete merde which was (laughs) the the perennial French book which was there already at the time and then there were the Collins books the teach yourself books I don't I don't remember what they were and I would simply Mm -hmm. flick through the grammar books till I found one that seemed more or less what I might enjoy, and then I would work through it page by page, um, mm-hmm. and, uh, and and that was pretty much it. Now, um, mm-hmm. fast forward yep. 20 years or so.
0: But subsequently you learned Spanish, you learned Arabic, you learned a whole bunch of languages.
1: Yeah, right? and all of that was in the kind of analog methods as well, so I, I, I think because I was, I was kind of mm-hmm. trained in that way, I've always found personally that mm-hmm. digitizing language learning Robs me of attention, which is for me is the most valuable asset when it comes to learning anything. So I've always got been, I've always be, be, right. be, been quite, uh, I've always preferred you know pencil and paper to anything else. The big things that have changed, I mean, right. the, the major ways that I use technology now would be for, uh, for example, reading reading Japanese. I would read digitally always because it's just so much faster to look up either the you know the read mm-hmm. the reading of, mm-hmm. a, of, a, of a kanji or the or the meaning of a kanji. Um, and then obviously I use the internet to take language lessons to connect with tutors and, um, mm-hmm. and just for general, for general, I mean, I'll, you know, watch movies, all, all the regular stuff really, but that's about right. it. I'm not a big one for apps. I, I'm a big fan of link. I use link on a mm-hmm. regular basis. Um, but mm-hmm. I, but I, mm-hmm. I very much, I very much use the internet to connect to native speakers, to read content. And then sometimes with a little bit of help when it gets hard.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm, right. Uh, interesting. I think it's true and I agree with you that reading on paper, uh, is better than reading on a computer. Uh, but there are a few conditions there. It's better because you, there are fewer distractions and, and you are basically dealing with the words and, and they're not shining at you and it's, it's less distracting. How, however, I find that in my own case. I have to be at a certain level sure. in order to be able to read on paper. Uh, so if I take an extreme example now, of course, when I learned Chinese, uh, there were no, you know, computer, there was no digital text, so it was all paper, but nowadays learning Persian and Arabic, I'm just not strong enough in Arabic. I have your book, by the way, Arabic short stories, and I can read them, but it's tough because the pronunciation is not obvious. Uh, the words that I don't know, I don't know. So if I can read it digitally, I can hear the text to speech. I can look the word up. Um, I can see in, in some languages, if I look the word up, say on link, I can see a conjugating dictionary, I get a whole bunch of additional information, which I find useful. But my goal is to get to a a level where I can read comfortably a, a conventional book. And so even in terms of say, Slavic languages, it's easier for me to read Czech or Polish simply because the alphabet that we're more used to is it's just that much easier for us to read. Sure. Uh, even something like uh, the Cyrillic alphabet, which is really not that difficult. It's still just that little bit more of a chore than reading in the alphabet that you're most familiar with. Uh, the other thing is, uh, if I go back in history. The reason we started Link is because I had books at home in German and in Spanish. And there was always five, 10 words per page that I didn't know. And I got tired of looking them up in the dictionary, forgetting them. And so even with those languages where let's say that there's more than 5% unknown words, I prefer now, even now to read, uh, you know, digitally, uh, as my main means of acquiring these words. Uh, but for realization, even though there are words, I don't know, I just skip over them. And I read them in a in a traditional book. Mm. And I will get there, by the way, with your Arabic shorts. Oh, I, I, which I, have no, me.
1: Thank you. I have no doubt that you will. Um, it, you know it, I think it's I always am left with the impression that when you have people such as yourself who who already know how they learn languages best and they have their method that they've perfected over, over many many years and, and many languages, um, that, that there's a very specific set of of, of conditions there. And we, you know, we kind of we know what we like, and we and we find ways to make to make that work. Mm-hmm. We don't bend to the technology; we got kind of to make the technology bend to us, as it, as it were. But I think for most right. people, really, the I think this is it, I, I think about it as a question of of just peeling back layers of difficulty one by one. And I think this is where technology is mm-hmm. interesting in the de- how the development of technology is interesting because because I, I don't really know so much about the. The, the, the app or the technology space because because I just simply don't use it so much myself. but when you when it comes to content and the kind of content that people are making, I, I find that very interesting and, and I think the fact that people can create content now and distribute it to a wide audience is very important because it motivates them to to, to do so. You know so I, I could think of a, any n- number of examples mm. of content creators on YouTube who are now making content on uh, based around comprehensible input, for example. So this is something that we are obviously big proponents of, mm-hmm. and it's you know, one of, of many different approaches right. to language learning. But you've got people who are making entire videos teaching French or Japanese or Spanish with comprehensible input, and they're using they're using objects, realia, as it's mm-hmm. as it's known. They're using whiteboards, computer screen. They're making these, mm-hmm. and ev- everything that they're doing is making the language more access- slightly more accessible, one layer at a time. And that's, I think, where technology for me seems to be really exciting, is the evolution of these content platforms so that someone can be a language creator on YouTube and then earn a living from doing that, which means they can then make more. And we, recently we've seen this huge proliferation in the amount of useful content that's being created and is out there for free. Um, and that's, a, that's kind of a, 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 hidden, a hidden way in which technology is, is driving things forward. You know, not so much in the, in the, in the app or software, but in, the, in just the enabling of people who are just natural teachers to, to, to teach.
0: Uh, I, I agree. And if we go into the sort of language books section of any bookstore, mm. whether it be in Tokyo or London, there's a limited number of books that can be there, even if there's yeah. 10 different editions, you know, Living Language and uh, I don't know, uh, <laughs> you know, any number of them, It's not going to be 100. It can only be the store can't possibly stock a hundred different books for learning these different languages. But there's no limit right. on the internet. Yeah. Uh, there's no limit on YouTube, and so different people have different ideas of how they can help people learn, and they just put them and out. And then there. you get feedback as well. And the difficulty is actually finding them. You get that
1: and you instant get feedback. feedback, so you can you can iterate very quickly. But when it comes to you know books, for example, like we right. we recently just published a, a book of um of Japanese short stories, and it's taken us. Uh-huh. I think two, well, from when I first raised it with the publisher, about th- three years to get it out. Um, you know, the length of time is preposterous, really, to, to get to take a book from. I mean, it was probably only a year, yeah, yeah. a year and a half, or, or a year to a year and a half of actual work. But but the, when you think about okay, that, that, we have one, we basically have one shot to get it right. We spend a lot of time up front, and then we put yeah. it out, and we hope that it does well. and We hope that it's useful for people. Um, but if I were to do, say, instead of writing a book on of Japanese stories, instead to say, right, I'm going to make a YouTube channel about Japanese. In that year and a half, I could be so much more attuned to what the content that people actually like, having listened to them, read their comments, tried wow. things out. So it's an incredibly powerful um, dynamic. It's all it's almost like the dynamic between mm-hmm. a teacher and a student. You know that that, instant, that feedback loop that we get on right.
0: the right and and. Feed like loop is important. And the other thing is just the, the cost of getting it out there. If you spend three years yeah. getting your Japanese storybook out there, you'd be hard pressed to get 10,000 people to buy that book. I don't know what your numbers are, but my experience would tell me that that would be a large number. You, you can get a hundred thousand views uh, uh, of a video on YouTube yeah, and uh, you can make more and more videos. And so you, you, you know, the, the, the economies of scale are so much better. Um, one thing with YouTube, I'm a great believer in YouTube, by the way, incidentally, as you know, at link, we have a, a browser extension where we can automatically import YouTube videos with the, uh, subtitles, the captions and that then. Oh, I didn't know you awesome could do VR that. Oh, that's fantastic. Lots. Oh yeah. I just click on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and I'm using things like, uh, I don't know. There's this, and that's another thing, you know, content creation doesn't just have to be People like yourself or Francais Authentique or other people who are creating great content. Uh, there's a Jordanian television, st- you know, I follow this Jordanian television station in Levantine Arabic, and there's also this uh, sort of somewhat like, uh, you know, the Flintstones type of cartoon uh, in Jordanian Arabic, which has, uh, uh, you know, subtitles in both English and Arabic. And so I can import that into Link, the Arabic becomes the text but I can actually, actually follow the video and see the English subtitles and then go through the text. And of course the text is divided, it's timestamped. So it's sentence by sentence. I can go through listening to the cartoon characters say whatever they have to say word by, you know, sentence by sentence. Uh, but then I can also watch the cartoon to get no run. The cartoon is three minutes long. So this is content. This is tremendous learning content. So there is no limit to, I mean, I could think of more examples like that. Both Netflix and YouTube, where you can bring these things in to link and use them as learning material. In fact, a lot of the stuff that we're now that I'm now seeing in both Persian and Arabic are links to this kind of content. So it's not in our library. Uh, so it's not that I'm distributing it to our members, but there is a link there that enables the member to go there and then download it into their account, so they are able to access all of this uh, content. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, it's exploding. What? I have a question. Sure. Uh, grammar. Um, I was thinking about grammar the other day and I often feel that, uh, people are sort of taught grammar before they have enough experience with the language so that the grammar becomes, it's difficult to understand what the point is, uh, difficult to remember these rules, uh, far, you know, much less apply them. However, I find that when I'm at a certain level in the language, I do want to get closer to the grammar. I've had enough experience with the language that I understand the points they're trying to make, I've actually experienced it, you know, and I feel that there is a lack of grammar texts in the target language, not for beginners because beginners wouldn't be able to follow the grammatical explanation in the language that they're trying to learn. But when you're at a kind of almost like a B1 plus, almost B2 level, if there was, uh, a course in the target language about the grammar, not too long, audio text, text can be imported into Link, audio I can listen to in my car. I think that would be a great resource. Have you ever given that? So that those are not stories. The stories are the key. I agree with you, uh, because the stories is sort of the enjoyment part of getting the language into you, getting the brain used to the language, but we all want to be better. We want to be more accurate in our use of the language. But if we could make the grammar learning also meaningful input in the target language, I think that would be- Sure, well, I mean, we do so, we do
1: almost exactly that um, at Story Learning, actually. So what we have, and you can tell me whether this is, um, whether I'm describing what you ha- have in mind here, but so we, we run these monthly challenges. So we have- um, uh, they are thirty days long. And basically, so what we do is we will take a grammar point in a language, a tricky grammar point. So, say for example, the difference between the past tenses in Spanish, which is a perennial problem. And so, we will write a story that's thirty in thirty chapters, thirty days long, based on which focuses heavily on that grammar point. And so, the idea is that, um, so in this case, mm-hmm. you know the two past tenses. And so the idea is that you spend thirty days on a daily mm-hmm. basis reading content that features that grammar point very heavily, um, and then through by by you know, by, by right. force or input and repetition and frequency, um, you end up just kind of developing that natural that natural feel. Um, and we find it works really well because right. because as you said, mm-hmm. the, the the barrier there really is it, it's just it's it's getting used to the way that that grammar works and it's developing. I mean I can't tell you how often mm-hmm. how often. I've had this, this experience of, um, you know, knowing, thinking that I know the grammar of a language fairly well, but never quite being able to use it in speech, and then going off and spending a year reading in the language and coming back and suddenly finding, without having done any extra study, that the grammar just rolls off my tongue naturally, you know, more naturally than, than before. Yep. It's simply a question of um, of exposure over time, frequency and exposure, I mean, at the, there really is, I could like no, I agree. I no other element to it. But it can that can be quite a tough, a, a tough pill to swallow for um for someone who's coming at it new because it it's it's not it's never the case that you can kind of chart your development or your progress against days or hours of study. You know, you just have to, you just right. have to, you know, just dive in surround yourself by it and then, and then just trust that, that you will then develop the, the knowledge as, as, it, as, as you
0: go. Right. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I think the brain, we underestimate the brain. The brain has the capacity to establish rules, create patterns, connections. And so all, after a year of reading, you're going to naturally use the language more correctly. Uh, but some things you won't notice. And so we all know people who have lived in Britain or Canada for 30 years and still make the same fundamental mistakes in English that reflect their native language. Uh, but they're still getting more or they've reached a certain level at least where much of what they say in English is grammatically correct. Uh, so the brain will form patterns. uh, and to that extent, I agree with you that lots of listening and reading is going to help the brain form patterns that are increasingly correct. But there are things that we don't notice. And I think when we start into the language, some sort of overall description of how the language works in English is kind of helpful mm-hmm. as long as we don't try to remember any of it because we can't. Uh, but it kind of helps us. Although certain things are immediately obvious. The verb comes at the end. you almost don't need to be uh, told that you'll figure that out pretty quickly.